What I speak here, however, is God's word. And I try to explain God's word. And this will be a difficult portion of scripture as we continue in chapter 6. Jesus has turned his attention from the corrupt teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees to their corrupt practice. And we covered giving last week, or last couple weeks. The second example that Jesus uses, we need to be very careful about, and that's going to be prayer. We need to be careful here for sin can even affect the most sacred of religious duties. Prayer, which takes us into the presence of God. In fact, the two times that Jesus faced the most severe temptation and assaults of the devil were when he was in the wilderness for 40 days by himself and when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying before he went to the cross. We will face spiritual opposition in our private times of prayer. And that opposition will come from spiritual wickedness in high places. But sometimes it will come from our own fleshly, sinful nature. And so we're talking about motivation for those external acts of righteousness which we do as a result of our relationship with God. And we covered giving. Now we want to look at praying. Let's read the passage. Starts in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love, notice that word love, for they love, to pray, standing in the synagogues and at the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. That's their motivation. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What they were motivated by is the reward that they got. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy room. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father who is in secret, and thy Father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Something you should do in verse 6, as it jumps out to me as I read, is underline all of the thous and thys in that verse. Let me emphasize them here. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy room, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father who is in heaven, and thy Father, who is in secret, shall reward thee openly. Notice all the thous and the thys in that verse. It's kind of important. We'll get there. Notice it says, and when thou prayest, the righteous will be a people who pray. Notice it says, when you pray. There is a presupposition here that we will, as God's people, as God's children, because he's our father there in verse 6, 
There is a presupposition that we will pray. It's taken for granted that we will pray. Now, I don't intend to do this, but when it's in the scripture, I will do it. I always had a rough time when evangelists came and we would start with meetings on Sunday night and we would go through meetings till Friday night and, you know, there very little going on at the altar, no people not coming forward. And I, I, I would tell somebody, one of my best friends, I says, you watch, he's going to be preaching on the big three on Friday night. You know what the big three are? Praying, reading your Bible, and witnessing. And you can always get people to feel guilty about those three areas, and the altar will be flooded. And sure enough, that's what they would do. Now, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. But if the word of God and the spirit of God makes you feel guilty, then God bless. We are to be a praying people. When you pray. So I'm just going to ask the question, and then I'll move on. Are you a praying person? Do you pray? Do you have a set time that you pray? Do you approach the throne of grace in more than times of need? Time to move on. Jesus is going to give us some instruction here as to how we are to perform this duty called prayer. I call it the privilege of prayer. What a privilege we have to pray. What a privilege to be able to, today, through Christ, enter into the Holy of Holies, which not no Jewish person could ever do, and enter to God's presence, as it were. We do have a great need for prayer. Now, prayer played a very important part in Jewish life, in the temple worship, private devotions, the synagogues. They had fixed times of prayer. But as Jesus is a, approaching it here, touching on it, prayer, especially among the hypocrites, the scribes and the Pharisees, had become corrupted and perverted through tradition. Prayer had become ritualized. The wording, the forms, the times of prayer, they were all set. And the prayers that they offered were usually read or repeated from memory. Now that in itself does not make it bad. There's a good book on the back. I think it's still there. The Valley of Vision, is it still back there? No? It's a bunch of Puritan prayers. You ought to get it and read it. Some really good prayers in there. Just because a prayer is written out does not make it a bad prayer. That's not the point here. But because of the ritualism, the, the, the ritualized aspect of prayer, they read they repeated these prayers from memory. They would pray, and they would not really know what they were saying. 
Now, before we point the finger at them, say, shame on you, do we not do the same thing when we sing hymns? Did you really pay attention to the words of the hymns you sang this morning? We sang a couple of my favorite ones. I love the one, May the Mind of Christ My Savior. Read the words to that without the music sometime and what you're actually asking God to do in that hymn. How many times have we sang Amazing Grace, It Is Well With My Soul, In the Garden, He Lives, and on and on I can go with these hymns, and we may be standing there singing, thinking about what we're going to have for Sunday dinner, and mouthing the words and not really thinking about what we're singing. In the same way, prayer had become routine to the Jewish people, especially the hypocrites. They would not pay attention to what they were saying, what they were asking God to do. Time to pray? Okay. And they prayed that written-out prayer. Now, faithful Jews prayed what is called the Shema. You should look it up sometime, S-H-E-M-A. They would pray that in the morning, and they would pray that in the evening. It was actually a, a really nice prayer. It was a composite of phrases from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 to 21, and Numbers 15, verses 37 to 41. Now, there's some controversy on how it's supposed to be translated, but it was a very good prayer. There was also an abbreviated version of it that they, a Jewish person could use if they were in a hurry. But faithful Jews also prayed what was called uh, the 18. I'm not sure how to pronounce this, but it's called the Shemona Esrei, S-H-E-M-O-N-E-H-E-S-R-E-Y. It had 18 prayers, all written out for various occasions. Uh, some personal um, prayers that they could offer, some national prayers that they can offer, some prayers just in relation to God as creator and uh, powerful one. Uh, many would pray these prayers, or some of them, in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening. And again, these also had abbreviated versions of them in case you were in a hurry. I read some of them this morning, some really good prayers called the 18. Put it into the Google search engine on your computer or phone, and you'll come up with a translation of these prayers. Now again, let me say that just because it's a written out prayer or they memorize the prayer doesn't make the prayer wrong. It's the use of the prayer. And of course, we'll get into the motivation as well here. Both of these prayers, the the Shema and the 18, both of these were to be prayed no matter where a person was or what he was doing when it came time for the time of prayer. The time of prayer were normally 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. 
the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour. Now, both of these, as well as prayers that we offer today, both of these could be prayed in three ways. First of all, all these written out prayers or prayers from the Valley of Vision or even a pastor who writes out his prayer, and I know pastors who have done that. These prayers could be prayed sincerely. In other words, to worship, to glorify God, the person is actually and earnestly thinking and saying each word, believing what they are praying. So you could pray the Shema or the 18, and you can do it very sincerely. Secondly, you could pray these prayers indifferently. In other words, quickly saying the phrases, mumbling the words to get through it as fast as possible. And maybe that's why they had the abbreviated versions as well. But you could pray it indifferently. Did you pray at the times of prayer at, the, at, the, at uh, 9 a.m., at, at noon, and at 3? Yeah, I prayed. Do you know what you prayed? Do you remember what you prayed? No, you know, I just kind of went through it real. But I obeyed. I prayed those prayers. The third way to pray these prayers, the Shema or the 18, was to do it ostentatiously. In other words, with pride. You can say the words exactly, distinctly, enunciating each word, letting your tones rise and fall, and you can let others see you when you're praying these prayers. That's the way Jesus, what Jesus is addressing here in this passage of Scripture the ostentatious use of the prescribed times of prayer and the written prayers that the scribes and the Pharisees who Jesus had called hypocrites numerous times did. But notice, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. In other words, don't follow their corrupt, perverted example. Now, there were some other faults that hurt prayer for the Jewish people and probably for us as well. They had, of course, pre-written and prescribed prayers for every object, for every occasion. Instead of praying with words that came out of that felt need, uh, felt need out of the heart, they had prayers for light and prayers for darkness and prayers for fire and rain, for the new moon, for traveling, for good news, for bad news. They had prayers for everything. All pre-written, prescribed for every situation. The other thing that hurt them in their prayer lives was that prayer was limited to specific times, specific occasions. So their prayer life had nothing to do with genuine desire or need. According to Josephus, a Jewish historian, sacrifices, including prayers, were offered in the temple two times a day, in the early morning and at the ninth hour, and there was also a sunset service as well. This is when the Jewish people prayed. And so the Jewish people took the saying of prayers at prescribed times or set times very seriously. 
And the longer your prayer, the more effective your prayer was. Now I'm being sarcastic here. Long prayers were esteemed as being more effective. The Jewish people saw a prayer's effectiveness determined by its length. Remember, Jesus addressed this in Mark chapter 12, verse 40, talking about the scribes and the Pharisees who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive the greater condemnation. Now, folks, there is no doubt, and I have preached on prayer, I've studied prayer, I've prayed. Prayer is still confusing to us. And we really do not know or understand how prayer works within the infinite mind and plan of a sovereign God. But that doesn't mean we should not pray. Now, there are some people who don't see the need to pray. These are what we would call hyper-Calvinists or extreme Calvinists. An extreme Calvinist, a hyper-Calvinist, does not believe it is necessary to pray because everything is in God's hands. He does what he wants to do, whether we pray or not. God will work according to his perfect plan, regardless of how or even if men pray. That is a wrong approach to the Bible's teaching on prayer. To an extreme Calvinist, a hyper-Calvinist, prayer is seen as lining yourself up to God's will, uh, what he's already predetermined to do. I've heard it said this way by an actual hyper-Calvinist. Prayer is our way of tuning into God's will, what he's already predetermined to do. That's a hyper-Calvinist view. A hyper-Calvinist will not pray. Now, on the other extreme, we have people that make everything contingent on prayer. These are the Arminians. An Arminian is the opposite extreme from a hyper-Calvinist. These men, women, make a great deal about man's supposed part in salvation, and they make the will of man completely free and autonomous from God's sovereignty. They believe God will do very little in this world unless we pray. They believe that God's actions and work in this world are determined largely according to our prayers. They beseech God to do what he otherwise would not want to do. That's the extreme Arminian position. I came across an illustration in one of my commentaries on the Sermon on the Mount kind of illustrates how confusing prayer can be to us. James Montgomery Boyce writes, some time ago I heard a story that illustrates how some of these questions trouble even very mature Christians. At one point in the course of their very influential ministries, George Whitfield, the Calvinistic evangelist, and John Wesley, the Arminian evangelist, 
were preaching together in the daytime and rooming together in the same boarding house each night. Some of the discussions they got into must have been incredible. One evening, after a particularly strenuous day, the two of them returned to the boarding house exhausted and prepared for bed. When they were ready, each knelt beside the bed to pray. Whitfield, the Calvinist, prayed like this, Lord, we thank thee for all those with whom we spoke today, and we rejoice that their lives and destinies are entirely in thy hand. Honor our efforts according to thy perfect will. Amen. Short, succinct, to the point, asking God to work. He rose from his knees, he got into bed. Wesley, who had hardly gotten past the invocation of his prayer in this length of time, looked up from his side of the bed and said, Mr. Whitfield, is this where your Calvinism leads you? Then he put his head down and went on praying. Whitfield stayed in bed and went to sleep. About two hours later, Whitfield woke up, and there was Wesley still on his knees beside the bed. So when Whitfield got up, he went around the bed to where uh, Wesley was kneeling, when he got there, he found Wesley asleep. He shook him by the shoulder and said to him, Mr. Wesley, is this where your Arminianism leads you? Two approaches to prayer. One guy praying, asking a sovereign God to do his will. Another guy pleading with God till he fell asleep. Yes, prayer is confusing to us. But here's the thing. The Bible leaves a tension between these two seemingly opposing ideas. God's plan and sovereignty, his decrees, and the fact that he asks us, commands us to pray. The Bible supports both of these views at the same time. Yes, God is completely sovereign and will do what he is determined to do. But it is equally true that God in his sovereignty wants us to approach him in prayer for help, for guidance, for provision, for protection, for grace and mercy and forgiveness and many other things. How do we reconcile those? I would hope that we... I hope that's all of us, would believe that God has determined to work out his sovereign plan and decrees through a people who pray. You ever wake up in the middle of the night prompted to pray? Don't ignore those times. That is the Holy Spirit and a sovereign God prompting you to pray that God, about something that God is going to do. God works out his plan through people who pray. You can write that down. That's how you maintain the tension. God works out his sovereignty, his plan, his decrees through a praying people. We need to realize that we do not need to know, nor is it required that we know, or is it even possible to know how God makes prayer effective? We simply need to pray. You don't need to figure it out. Just pray. Then, of course, there's people who completely neglect to pray. They don't pray at all, and they're not even hyper-Calvinist. 
They don't see any need for it in their lives. Story after story can be told of people who have gotten answers to prayer, you know, for simple little things to big things. God does answer prayer. Then there are some people who misunderstand this passage on prayer, and they would say that there should not be any kind of public prayer whatsoever. No prayer meetings, no praying with others, no praying out loud in front of other people. Scripture does not condemn public prayer. In fact, there are many examples of public prayer being offered, which is never condemned. You've got the practice of Jesus, the disciples, the early church, as well as Old Testament examples like Solomon praying at the dedication of the temple. Let's just take a look at a few, and I'm going to go to the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. I mean, I know you believe this, but let me just give a few verses here. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Does that sound like public prayer to you? It does. Look at verse 24. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, show which of these two thou hast chosen. They're trying to ask God to direct them to uh, replace Judas who betrayed the Lord. Now we know there were at least 11 people there, probably more, but public prayer. Chapter 2, verse 42. Talking about all the people that had been saved after Peter preached, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. That's public prayers. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And we've talked about those very stated times of prayer. And here were Peter and John still as Jewish men going up to the temple to pray at the ninth hour with other people. Chapter 4 is the first persecution that broke out against the church. At the end of this chapter, after they had beaten the uh, Peter and John, and commanded them not to preach in Jesus' name. They went to, back to the, the group of believers. And in verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company. They reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. And they, they give forth this incredible prayer publicly with, all, with the believers. Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 6 and verse 4. The apostle said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then chapter 12, verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing by the church unto God for him. Here they were, 
praying for Peter who was in prison. God miraculously gets him out of prison. Peter thinks, you know what, there's people praying for me. And he went and he knocked on the door of where the believers were praying. And a young maid by the name, what is her name, Lydia? Young maid goes out there, Rhoda. She hears Peter's voice, but she forgets to open the door. I remember hearing a preacher one time, it's fortunate that the answer to their prayer kept knocking on the door. But the point is, is this passage of scripture is not speaking against public prayer, prayer meetings, getting together with one another and praying for situations. It's not speaking against that. What Jesus is speaking against is that we would pray like the hypocrites. He says, don't pray, don't be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing at the synagogues and at the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. The righteous should not pray like the hypocrites pray. Now again, we're into the motivation. What's the motivation for the hypocrites? They love to pray standing at the synagogues and and, and at the corners of the streets. They love to pray in those public areas. Why? That they may be seen by men. That is their motivation. That's not to be our motivation. So these verses are about praying to ourselves, praying to others, praying with ourselves, praying to show off, rather than praying to God. The idea behind what these hypocrites were doing, and hopefully not us, is they were trying to impress others than actually communicating with God. So as we pray, we need to be careful that we're not like the hypocrites do. We don't let pride, sinful self-glory. We're not trying to attract attention, have other people honor us. We're not trying to enhance our reputation through how we pray. We're not trying to exalt ourselves over other people while praying. Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Remember, a hypocrite is someone who wears a mask. They're like an actor. They are a pretender. And so their motivation is that they might be seen by men, just like an actor. I mean, what good does it do to memorize all of those lines, practice all of the, the, the different scenes in a play or in a movie, and then it's never shown to the public? Their motivation is to be seen by men. They do it before others to be seen by them, to be noticed, to gain the approval of others so others would see them, so that others would praise them to enhance their reputation. The idea behind this, to be seen, is to be doing it with with the view to be looked at. That's the intention. And so Jesus is warning about doing this righteous alm, this righteous deed, this external act of righteousness, praying with the whole purpose of showing off like, like actors in a play. Like I said before, we get our word 
theater from the root of this Greek word to be seen, same as in verse 1 of chapter 6. We don't pray to be gazed at like a spectacle. We don't do these righteous deeds in this context prayer for the purpose of being looked at or attracting attention and gaining applause. I went to the mission field as a pastor. I visited one of our missionaries who we were going to drop probably from the mission's budget. And I can still remember, I, I mean, it is so vivid in my eyes. It came time for the pastoral prayer in the service. And this man, who we were going to drop anyway, because whether other, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but he got next to the pulpit, got down on his knees, raised his hands towards heaven with his eyes open. Not my kind of missionary. And everything he did with me on that trip was showing off. That's the kind of person he was. He was showing off. He was trying to attract attention and gain the applause of men. We don't pray to be gazed at as a spectacle. We don't do these righteous deeds for the purpose of being looked at, gaining praise or applause. When you combine, combine the phrase to be seen with the word hypocrite, it paints a pretty vivid picture in our minds. Jesus is warning about doing your righteous deeds, in this case prayer, like play acting. It's not real life. It doesn't demonstrate what is really in the heart of the actor, but is simply a performance for show. When I saw that missionary get down on his knees like that, I thought that was nothing but show. And that's within the whole context, and I can't give you the whole context. He was trying to make an impression on those who were watching, like actors in a theatrical production, playing the part of what they are not. This is what the hypocrites do. They are seeking to appear differently than what they really are. There's an intention here to deceive, to be something that they are not. In other words, someone who's wearing a mask. He's pretending to be something he is not. He's doing it for show. He's concerned with appearance, what people will think of him. And certainly his appearance contradicts his actual relationship with God. I call it play-acting praying. Play-acting praying. The person is playing a role. In my ears, I can still hear some men at a certain church who would pray for the service and inevitably the same phrase always showed up in the prayer. Lord, please save them before it's everlasting too late. Or there was some version of that. Some memorized request always put into the prayer to make it seem like they cared about souls. Let's not be like the hypocrites. 
because the praying that they are doing is praying to be seen by men. Notice that they love this. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love. They love to pray. They love to pray in the synagogues and at the corners of the streets. If you hear that, they love to pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. What does that probably tell you about their private prayer life? Probably non-existent. Because there's no audience. There's no one there to see or to hear what they're doing. And it says here that they love to pray standing in the synagogues and at the corners. Now, don't misunderstand the word standing there. New Testament times, this was the normal posture for prayer. It did not in itself mean a person desired to be seen by others just because he was standing. It's not the posture that's being condemned. It's not the posture that in prayer that's important. It's the heart. They love. Notice, you've got to underline that word love. They love to pray in the synagogues, on the street corners. Yeah, they stand, but there are examples in the Bible of people who stood to pray, who knelt to pray, who prostra- prostrated themselves on the ground to pray. It's not the posture that's important. Standing was the normal posture in prayer for the Jews. They would get up in the synagogue, and they would stand before the Ark of the Law where the, in the synagogue where the scrolls were kept, and that's where they would pray. So at fixed times of prayer, a person might find himself on a street corner or in some public place, and he would stand and pray. Synagogue, of course, a very public place. Public prayer he was usually led by a male member of the congregation. He took his place in front of the Ark of the Law. The temptation was always there to pray in such a way as to not really be praying to God, but for others to hear what you're saying. I even have a hard time with preachers in today's age who pray, but they're not praying to God. They're actually preaching to the congregation in their prayer. I think that's just as wrong. If you're going to call it prayer and you're going to address God, then talk to God. So the temptation was always there to pray, not really to be praying to God, but so others would hear what you're saying. It was not wrong to pray in the synagogue. It was not wrong to stand and pray in the synagogue. That was the center of worship for the Jews. Many people would be gathered there. The idea is the motivation behind it, the intent to deceive. You know, to stand up there and use the acceptable language. To express the right feeling. To make sure the tones were just right. Uh, to, reveal, uh, to reveal a fervency in your words, expressing the prayer in such a way that it's pleasing to those who are listening and impresses them. Do we do that? When we do things like that, we are doing it to win the approval of others. Or there's the people who try to outdo the other guy when they pray. Or the guy who prayed last week or maybe even earlier in the service, you know, I'm going to make my prayer more devout, use bigger words, sound more spiritual. These hypocrites prayed in the synagogue because they wanted people to see it. 
Then the idea of street corners. We don't understand this because, you know, we don't have trumpets blowing when it's time to pray. But the idea of street corners here is it's a major street. In other words, if you stood on the street corner, you could be seen from four different directions by lots of people. That is not the normal place of prayer. The hypocrites prayed at this place because it had a large audience. Now at public fasts or at the time of the daily afternoon sacrifice, the trumpets would blow, letting people know that prayer should be offered. 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m. A man could start to pray right where he was at in the street by facing the temple to offer his prayer. Would that not provide the opportunity for ostentatious praying? Did the hypocrite just happen to be at the street corner when the stated time of prayer arrived? No doubt it was not beyond the ingenuity of some to be in a public place when that trumpet blew at the prescribed time of prayer. And thus they were compelled to pray right where they were at, on the street corner, where they worked it out where they would be when the trumpet would blow. The hypocrites would plan to be at the street corner so that others could see them. And they did it all that they may be seen by men, in order that they might be seen by men. This is what they love, to pray in order to be seen by men. That was the whole purpose of their activity. It's not necessarily wrong to pray in those locations. I wouldn't choose a street corner to pray, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with being on a street corner and meeting somebody and, you know, you both bow your heads and pray. I've done that. I've done it in a mall. I didn't do it to attract somebody's attention. I met someone I hadn't seen for a while. We, went, we slipped over to the side, we got caught up, and we prayed for one another in the mall. Nothing wrong with that. It's the motivation, the intent behind it. You remember the Pharisee, Luke chapter 18 and verse, verses 9 through 13? Let's turn there real quick. Luke chapter 18. Jesus spoke this parable unto certain who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So two men went up into the temple to pray. And you got the Pharisee and the publican. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The tax collector... Notice what it says. He was standing afar off. The implication here in the scriptures, where was the Pharisee? He was probably up front where people could see him. But the tax collector was standing afar off. He wouldn't even lift up so much of his eyes into heaven. And he basically, he beat his chest and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. But notice the contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector standing afar off. No pretense about his praying, no show, didn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. The implication is the Pharisee was up in front, lifting his eyes up to heaven, maybe even lifting his hands, who knows. But the hypocrite, of course, would stand where people could see and hear. But notice in the passage who the Pharisee was praying to. What's it say? 
he was praying with himself. Folks, his prayer did not go any higher than the ceiling of the synagogue. It bounced off the ceiling of the synagogue, came back into his own ears, and he was impressed. God wasn't. It was self-worship. This is the hypocrite's motivation. In order to be obvious to others, to, to have people call you devout and spiritual, they wanted others to see them pray. They wanted others to hear them pray so that it was obvious that they were righteous. And so the emphasis here is on the desire to be seen, to be heard by others, to attract other people's attention, to gain a reputation, to have people clap like in a play. And what is the reward for ostentatious praying? The human praise that they got, that's their reward. They were paid in full. No other payment to be accept, uh, expected. The receipt was made. They desired the attention of others, and that's what they got. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. We'll get to verse 6 next week, but I told uh, the young men this morning that usually I my sermons are seven pages long. I made it through uh, seven and a half. Folks, this is interesting because we can take these principles and apply them to our prayer meeting nights, our time of prayer before Sunday school, a pastor's prayer, Matt's prayer before the service. I'm not saying you did anything wrong. I'm not picking on you. We can apply this to any time we pray. What do we love? Are we like the hypocrites who love to pray that they may be seen by men or are we praying because we are actually communicating with God? Let's pray. Father, it's so hard for us. We are a people who like to compete. We are a people who like to show off. We are a people who like to be accepted. We are a people that we want to be thought highly of. Lord, I ask that you would help each and every one of us in our hearts to have the right motivation behind how, when, where, and why we pray. Because, Lord, our desire, I hope it's all of our desires, is to be acceptable to you. and that we would be rewarded by you for the kind of praying that we do and the motivation behind it. We're asking in Jesus' name. Amen.